It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Good morning, folks. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so glad to have you with us on this beautiful spring day. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week, beautiful or not, we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. My name is Mike Bernard, your host and one of the advisors on the show, along with fellow certified financial planners, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Yeah, another tax season is behind us. And so the question is, did you get the results you're hoping for? And today we'd like to discuss some of the highlights of the tax planning work that we did this tax season. And all of this is designed to help you have an even better tax season this coming year. Gosh, we're a couple of weeks past the deadline, but I know some of you, when I say tax, you just cringe. Still flinch yeah. a little bit. Yeah, I know, but we love it. We love it. Uh, we've had a lot of tax questions coming in. We're hoping to hit those questions, a lot of them here today. So thank you. If you have a question, reach out to us, wisemoneyradio.com or 574-222-2000. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. More and more content is being pushed out that way. Go ahead, give us a like, and you'll be able to look at that content as well. All right. I just mentioned, yes, some people, they don't like tax season. And I get it. There's this deadline and there's numbers, and that makes some people squirrely. Tax season is one of my favorite times of year, though. We're really busy at KFG, but we get to see some of our favorite people on the planet. We get a lot of people coming into our doors that time of year, and I love it. But the other reason I love it is we get to see it's kind of the culmination of all the tax planning work that we've done with many individuals, families, small businesses, and uh, and then, boy, at the end of it is Easter and it's spring, and then I get these crazy allergies where I want to rip my eyes out because they burn so bad. <laughs> it's just great. It's wonderful. Just kidding. Uh, when it comes to your taxes, though, we've talked about this before, most of you are aiming at the wrong target with your taxes. You're just trying to get the biggest refund possible. I don't totally dismiss that because I think embedded in there is you're trying to pay the least amount of tax. And that really is the big goal. Pay the right amount of tax. That's the goal of tax planning. And sometimes you want to invite some income and some tax into this year because it's going to avoid tax in the future and vice versa. So that's what tax planning is all about. That's one of the reasons why we love it. Yeah, I'm glad that you kind of clarified there. It's it's not just about getting the right size refund because some people might hear you and say, oh, yeah, I definitely don't want to get too large of a refund because that means the government's been sitting on my money for so long without any interest. And, yep. and yeah, I get that. But, um, you know, even if you were to skinny down your refund and you had a break-even tax return, it doesn't mean that you did great tax planning at the time. You know, to, to me, tax planning is uh, really you taking a multi-year uh, approach, having a game plan for reducing the amount of money that you pay in taxes over your whole lifetime. And uh, a lot of people don't realize that you do have some choice on when you show income on the tax return. Yep. Do you push some income out? Do you pull it into this year? That sort of thing. So it's not enough just to try to get a break-even tax return or get the right size refund. Not even enough just to make sure that you've captured all the logical deductions and everything. It is about being proactive in your planning, looking ahead and deciding for yourself how you're going to take advantage of tax shelters and other provisions in the tax code to choose the best timing on when to count that income. 
That's right. And and what we're not talking about is, well, you get your W-2. Eh, I don't really feel like claiming that this year. <laughs> no, it's about being proactive, which is why I would say, which is why we would say, tax planning should be done all year round. You don't do this right before you go to the New Year's Eve party. No, you do it all year. Yeah, the big idea, and this is, be careful how you listen to this, because the big idea is really to pay as much tax as possible in the lowest possible rate. And a lot of times people get hung up on the as much tax as possible, but it's really in the, in the lowest possible rate. Because when you think about it, a lot of folks, typically as you're accumulating and saving money for retirement and other purposes, you're using tax-favored vehicles to do so. So you've deferred or delayed paying taxes on those dollars. And so at some point in time, you've got a dollar on one side of the tax fence and you're gonna you want to get that dollar over the fence yeah and you want to have as much of a dollar left on the other side as possible so if I take a dollar and throw it over the fence am I gonna uh, be hung up on 10 or 15 or 25 or 30 what percent of that dollar is going to be reduced by federal and state taxes and it's always interesting to me as we will talk to clients who inevitably end up being somewhat responsible for their parent, their aging parents' financial situation. And they'll say, well, you know, th- there's not much to do for my parents' financial life. They're, they've got IRAs, so they're taking required minimum distributions, but it's not enough where they have to pay any taxes. And so you look at that and you say, oh, do you realize, in a lot of, a lot of different times we've looked and said, you know, not only are mom and dad not paying any taxes, but they could be moving money out of that IRA, moving more money out of the IRA and pay no taxes or pay taxes in the 10% tax bracket, which is likely a much lower bracket than the people that would be inheriting that money. You're already getting into strategy, which is why this is one of my favorite shows. We did it last year right after tax season. We're kicking it off here again today, and it's all about, all right, well, guys, what were some of the most fun or noticeable, standout, highlight, whatever, examples from tax season of tax planning? Well, I I had one just recently, actually, um, a, a business consultant he, he kind of does some consulting on the side. He has a normal job that he earns good money, but he has some great influence in his industry, so he does some consulting. And he didn't realize, he, he didn't, uh, truth be known, he didn't do a, a great job of keeping track of his income throughout the year. Yeah. Okay. Which is, it's common. Right. Right. You know, the money just kind of came in and it piled up. And his guess uh, as to what amount of income he received from consulting was half what the reality was. Oh, wow. So, so he had tens of thousands of dollars when he thought it was much smaller. And uh, all of a sudden, his tax picture was very different than what he was expecting. And the nice thing is, is that there are some last minute tax planning things that business owners like this can do. Someone who is a self-employed individual, they kind of get clobbered with taxes. And so, you know, they, they have a bigger incentive than most people to be um, you know, very careful in their, their hunting for tax savings. So what we did in his case, one of his goals is to save for retirement. And he took some dollars rather than send a big chunk off to the government. He sent a smaller amount off to the government and put a big chunk into a SEP IRA. Mm. 
And a SEP IRA, the, the cool thing about that is you have much longer to contribute to it. We actually filed an extension so that he has all the way till October to fund this thing. Yeah. And he's just going to fund it slowly over the coming months to deal with last year's tax problem. The SEP IRA is a pretty, it's a good tool and it's flexible because you've got such a long time to fund it. But there's a couple traps with it. And one of them is if you're self-employed, but you have employees, the SEP IRA forces that whatever contribution you make for yourself, you've got to contribute that same rate, that same percentage to other employees. So it's, it's, a, um, it's, a, it's a lever that a lot of small business owners can pull, but not all of them. In fact, I would go back to this idea of being proactive with tax planning. For a lot of small business owners, a single K or something or another type of retirement plan other than the SEP might be a more ideal option. But in this case, it sounds like it's really made a big yeah, difference. Yeah, it was a, a last-minute solution. Yeah. Yeah, great. Okay. Uh, I, I also had a last-minute kind of s- example with someone as well where they came in for the first time to our office because they were working with a different, another CPA. CPA prepared their taxes and said, oh, by the way, you're not getting as much refund as what you expected because your income was just above this certain limit. And so even though you've got a child in college, you're, the tax credits that you're getting for him being in college are significantly re- reduced because yeah, you made just a out. little bit more. And yeah. so they said, what? How can we have this surprise? It, we've, you know, what can we do? And so, uh, so they came in and we talked about some options for this past year, health savings account, and IRA or, or so on. So, and But then really what to do for this next upcoming year because good news is he got a raise, which means there's going to be an even greater um, amount of income showing on this next year's return. But we put some strategies together to put them in a position that even though they're going to make more this upcoming year, they should be able to be below that threshold to be able to get that entire American Opportunity Tax Credit. So we're just scratching the surface on different tax planning examples that we saw really to help you get creative, get thinking about what things you should start doing for tax planning this year. So that and more upcoming here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Good morning, folks. We're so glad to have you with us. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name's Mike Bernard, alongside Joshua Gregory and Kevin Corhorn. Special thanks to the attorneys at Ledoux, Kern, and Keene, as well as First State Bank for sponsoring today's program. We're talking about how you can pay less tax, or going back to what Kevin said earlier, more tax at the lowest possible rates. We call that tax planning, and we're talking about that on today's show. We've got a lot more to hit on this topic, but if you have questions, reach out to us, 574-222-2000 or wisemoneyradio.com. All right. We are just getting started on some of our favorite highlights and examples from tax season of where tax planning that we did with folks all throughout the year really created a great tax result. A few more stories to tell to help you know what should you apply in your life. Yeah, I had a a client, uh, a newer client this past year, who came in and we were doing tax planning and this client was in the 25% tax bracket uh, federally. And so we were looking what kind of tax reduction strategies are possible. 
And one of the things is um, this person came in with an online brokerage account. Let's just say E-Trade. And on their E-Trade account, they had some worthless stock. So they had put money into these stocks and the value of those stocks was now zero. Ouch. But they never claimed the loss on their taxes for these. Mm. So when we added them all up, on a, and it's a sizable portfolio, um, but there was about $17,000 of losses. Mm. So we took that and um, have it as a loss now. So he was able to take $3,000 off as a capital loss. Now, the way that that works, you can't take all 17 this year. You can only take uh, 3,000 using the other losses to offset your gains, but you can only take a maximum of 3,000. But to this person, the 25% tax bracket, and call it 5% Fed, that- State. State, yes. That, that, uh, that was worth about $900. Yeah. That's real money. Well, and you kind of indicated this, but it creates an opportunity in coming years to maybe go sell off some investments that are uh, right now valued much higher than what you bought them for. There's some taxable gains there, as we call them, that would otherwise you'd have to pay tax on them, but you have a coupon to use. The, the leftovers from the 17 grand can help wash out some of those gains. So it, it's a way for you to um, kind of marry together your investment planning and your tax planning for the purpose of continuing to massage your portfolio, can, continuing to rebalance it without getting clobbered with taxes in this case. So that that strategy is called tax loss harvesting, and I say that because my friends here are both uh, pretend farmers. <laughs> what? I don't know what no, label you, to YouTube give you. YouTube farmer. So total uh, gentleman, gentleman farmers, if you will. Funny farmers. Um, <laughs> just to clean up a couple a couple things there. So, right, if you have a loss of 17000 you get to take three on your taxes. And so where does the other 14000 go? I had to pause. I'm not really a wow. numbers person. <laughs> where does the other 14000 go? You don't lose it. It just carries forward on next year's return. You could take another three, or like Josh mentioned, if you have other investments that have a gain, it can offset that gain. But the other thing I'd mention, some of you are listening right now and think, oh yeah, yeah, it's a bummer, but I I made a really poor investment choice once inside of my IRA and I had this big loss, so maybe I should do that. No, unfortunately, if it's in an IRA and your 401k, you can't take that loss. There's a big asterisk next to, if it's in your Roth IRA, can you take that loss? Um, Let's just assume no, but there's some tricks that maybe, um, but what Kevin said at the beginning was kind of um, financial jargon, but if it's just an individual account, yeah, you'd have to claim gains there or losses. So I just wanted to make that point. If it's in, if you've got a big loss in your 401k or IRA, unfortunately you can't claim claim those losses on your taxes. Right. Well, the, the interesting question that comes about is I bought this stock in my IRA and it lost a, a bunch of value or all of the value. So can I deduct that? Right. And in essence, you just did. Right. Because, yeah. Go because, ahead. well, because if you put $10,000 into this stock in your IRA and okay. the 10000 went to zero, yeah, you, th- that's $10,000 that you will never pay taxes on. That you deducted on your tax return, but now you'll never have to pay tax on. So in a sense, you're right. You got it. 
I have a similar it story. It still though. sucks. <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> oh, thanks, <That's> Captain <laughs> Obvious. <laughs> <laughs> the gentle truth teller, Josh. Oh, another country was heard from. Yeah, it, it is. It's not what it's we're. Painful. Sh- it's not what you're shooting for. It's not what you're trying to do. But on occasion, that does happen. So I'm. Gonna, I'm. Gonna, I've got another example, very similar to this. An uh, individual uh, that I've got the pleasure of serving has some bank stock. And after the Trump uh, election, bank stocks just skyrocketed. And so he had some gains in there, pretty considerable gains, and then they've just jumped, okay? Until we've talked about, well, geez, you know, this is kind of fun, and we've talked about risk and all that. However, I know that they love to donate to their church in a couple other causes. So I said, listen, at some point you're going to need to sell this stock, and there's going to be a big capital gain that you're going to have to post there. What if instead of giving about a thousand a month to their church, what if you did this upcoming year's donation of stock and you donated some of your highly appreciated stock? So let's just say, for example, he's got six thousand dollars of investment into a stock that's now worth twelve thousand. He can donate that stock right off, get a deduction for the full twelve thousand but doesn't have to claim any of the capital gain. And then the church sells it, but they're, they're a tax-free entity, so they don't have to claim any capital gain. That was a pretty, pretty good idea. It worked out great in their situation. Yeah, so. and if you, if you look at that, um, I'm thinking of a situation, and what happens a lot of times with folks, as long as we're talking about individual stocks, is if you work somewhere, a lot of times there becomes an emotional attachment to that place. So you say, Hey, you know, like you hate, like you despise it. Is that, is that what you're saying? Well, no, it's, it's, it's <laughs> even, it's a, it's a strange attachment, but it's the, Hey, I'm, um, I'm a computer programmer that sits in a back room and I'm one of 60,000 employees of this company, but I am confident. I know exactly what the stock of this company is going to do. I know what the financial direction of this company is, and I know what's going to happen. So you have this this bizarre emotional connection to the stock because you have this uh, very misplaced and misguided confidence that you know exactly what the stock's going to do. You're hurting some feelings, Kevin Corhorn. Well, a, lot of, a lot of people feel that way. A, a lot of people feel that way, and I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings. I'm just uh, pointing out that when... Anyone gets emotional about their money, they're prone to making significant financial mistakes. Yep. And so I, I tell you all that to come back to this whole idea of individual stocks and capital gains. So I had a, a client who was very attached to a bank stock, and he always said, uh, with all these bank stocks, he said, hey, I, bank stocks have never done me wrong. Bank stocks have never done me wrong. And he said that up to about 2008 and uh, the meltdown and collapse and everything else. And so they he, did him wrong. They <laughs> did him wrong. That he realized that bank stocks did not love him like he loved them. <laughs> and so he, but he still has some bank stocks with some pretty good appreciation. And now uh, there have been some change in his, changes in his situation where he's in the 15% federal tax bracket. Mm. So his highly appreciated stocks. He can sell them, and as long as he sells the right amount, his capital gains rate, when his ordinary income tax rate is 15%, his capital gains rate is zero. So he can cash these things out and pay zero capital gains tax on them. 
Yeah, that's a that's a fun strategy to be able to reveal to somebody. Yeah, and it's all because of the changes in the tax code over the past decade or so. It's created an opportunity. We don't know how long that opportunity will be around, but taking advantage of zero percent rates or ten percent rates, any of these tax brackets, playing them to your advantage is the whole point of tax planning. That's right. It's a similar situation. Just to piggyback on that, someone was that I was meeting with needed an extra thousand dollars a month of income. And they were drawing money out of an IRA as opposed to they had this big account there with um, a a trust account where they could draw money out. Well, drawing money out of the IRA put them into the 25% tax bracket and therefore the dividends from the investments and the capital gains from the investments in the trust account, they were going to have to pay capital gains tax on. But we switched that over and they stopped withdrawing money out of the IRA and therefore capital gains, those things aren't taxed uh, federally. So it is still taxed at the state. So. Uh, we are unpacking our highlights from this past tax year uh, about tax planning. Tax planning stories that have gone well. I think there's a couple that didn't go so well also. We've got that and listener questions coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Good morning, folks. Thank you for joining us today. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name's Mike Bernard. I'm here with Josh Gregory and Kevin Corhorn. Thank you to Bethel College Adult and Graduate Studies, as well as Diane Bennett with Remax 100 for partnering with us on the Wise Money Show. Tax season's over. It's been over for a couple weeks, but we're talking about ways that you can improve your tax situation, things that you can start doing right now to help your tax situation a year from now. If you have any questions, I know anytime we talk about taxes, just spins off a lot of questions. I get it's complicated. Reach out to us, wisemoneyradio.com, or give us a call, 574-222-2000. Some folks even shoot us a question or comment on Facebook. You can do that, Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining the conversation that way. So we've got some more questions we're going to be hitting in just a moment, but we're still talking about some of our favorite tax stories from this past past tax season to help you implement ways to improve your tax situation. I know Kevin's got one more. Okay, so one more quick story here, Mike. So uh, when we have new folks come to start working with us, um, some folks have worked with an advisor in the past and some haven't. And I started working with uh, some folks and they were concerned about the stock market kind of like Dale was when we yeah last week yeah and so they wanted to change their risk profile so um, they their investment advisor said well hey here's the deal we can sell your losers because that's not going to affect anything uh, on your tax situation but really there's a big chunk of gain in this portfolio and their their previous investment advisor and I would make the distinction between an investment advisor and a financial planner so their previous investment advisor had done a really nice job for them and there was there's a pretty decent chunk of capital gains in there but they said hey we don't want to sell these holdings because all of this gain it's going to hurt from a tax it's going to be painful and so the problem is if you want to change your risk profile, but you can't sell your holdings, nothing's going to change. 
So one of the things that we did is we said, well, let's take a look at your tax return, your prior year tax return. And on the prior year tax return, they had meaningful capital losses that they were carrying forward. Yeah, from investments in the uh, previously that hadn't done as well as they wanted. Mm-hmm. And so, ironically, the amount of gain that was baked into the portfolio, the unrealized gain that will be realized in the event they sold those investments, was very close to the amount of losses that they were carrying forward. So we said, hey, look, here's the deal. You, you, you have a, a, a license here to change your risk profile. We can sell all of the investments that you have and restructure and, ta- and chart a different course here because it's not going to hurt you from a tax planning perspective. But the, the, and that is why that I'm, I'm revealing my bias, but that's why I believe in comprehensive financial planning, where you're looking at the six areas of financial planning. Because if all I'm doing is looking at the investments, I only have part of the picture and I can't make a great decision. So I need to assemble a whole bunch of data. And when I get the data assembled, that puts me in a position to make some really good decisions. Well, it's also the reason to make sure that your various financial professionals are collaborating as well. Oh, yeah. Because that knowledge was in the CPA's head, I'm assuming, and it was right there on the tax return. But the investment advisor, he apparently wasn't looking or maybe just didn't know what to look for and was making some assumptions that were faulty. Yeah. So, you know, two professionals collaborating together helps tease out those opportunities or a professional who's taking the comprehensive approach that you were just describing. Either yeah, but, scenario, that should be found. But I'd even, I, so you, you're being delicate and too nice, Josh, because even in some of our previous examples, sometimes you want to sell investments that have a high, a, a lot of capital gain because you're in a low tax bracket right. and you're not going to have to pay any tax on that. Sometimes you want to do that, and yet if you're just working with an investment professional, they might not know that you're in the 15% tax bracket for the first time in ages and that you're way down in that, maybe in the 10% tax bracket. So you should sell a lot of these investments that you've wanted to sell for a long time. And just, But out of, well, we don't want to create these capital gains, they might just miss that. I, I would say stronger than, than what you said, Josh. You need to be working with a certified financial planner who will collaborate with other professionals to give you the right, best advice. Yeah, that is, that people will often ask, so why at Corhorn Financial Group do you have certified financial planners who do investment planning? Why do you have a, a tax and accounting business under the same roof? And the reason is I got tired of asking people, when's the last time your investment planner talked to your tax planner? Because I would get the thousand yard stare and they'd say, well, what are you talking about? My, the guy who prepares my taxes has never talked to the girl that sells me investments. So they, they don't collaborate. Yeah. And I said, well, look, the only way for you to get the best result is to have collaboration in your financial life. So that's where, again, uh, showing our bias, we want that to happen and we want it to be very simple and easy. We love tax planning. I love tax planning, folks. If you missed it, I'm telling you, Start doing tax planning right now. There's three things you should do as soon as your taxes are done. Three things every time. The first one, why did my taxes turn out the way that they did? The second, is there anything I can do right now to improve last year's taxes? Well, it's now in the May. You can't. What should I start doing 
to improve next year's taxes. That's number three. You need to do that every time you get your taxes done. Well, and you need to take the time to ask yourself that question. How is this coming year going to be different than last year? That's it. Right? You know, have I changed jobs? Is my income going to be different? Am I going to have more dependents or less dependents? Are we leaving the high school years and going into college? There's so many changes that have potential tax surprises that can be sprung on you if you don't start doing that tax planning right now. That's right. Uh, we had we got a great question from Larita about this very issue: investments and taxes, and and it's a tough one. It's it's hard it's hard to hear because I know there's pain in here and and struggle, Larita. So here's her question: I took a distribution for my traditional IRA due to being laid off in December of 2015. I took several di- distributions at different times in 2016 for rent, bills, insurance. Was there a smarter way for me to avoid the tax penalty? I worked at temp agencies, so I had some employment throughout the year, off and on. Thanks. First, my heart goes out to you, Lurita. I, I know for many people, the economy that went down and is now coming back has still left a lot of people under and unemployed. And I know it's probably you didn't want to do it. You didn't want to tap your IRA, uh, but but you needed to. From a tax standpoint, there are some exceptions. I'm not sure you apply and many of them apply to you. The only one I can think of, and I'm going to let Josh, Josh has more of these details. He's giving me that look saying, I want to communicate some things here. Um, but when you say insurance, I don't know, health insurance, sometimes there's an exception for the penalty when you draw money out of an IRA if it's going towards some insurance through some hardship. Um, but that's something, again, your CPA, your tax professional, you'd want to have them talking to your investment professional to make sure that those exceptions apply. Some of them do. They're called 72T. I'm taking some of the details from Josh, but many of I'm not sure those really would apply in your situation. Well, the only point I was actually going to make, though, is that that even if you could have one of the exceptions apply to you, it's really just eliminating the 10% penalty. You're not avoiding the tax. That's right. Right? Yeah. So anytime you're pulling dollars out of an IRA, whether you've reached age 59 and a half and you're officially of retirement age, according to the IRS... Uh, you're still going to pay tax on on dollars that come out of an IRA. It's just the question of can you avoid the 10% penalty. Yeah. There is one strategy that if you uh, suddenly had a windfall, you know, I, I've had clients who they needed to tap into an IRA because a, a house hadn't sold yet, and um, you know they were counting on it to sell. It just took a while, and all of a sudden they had big proceeds come back into their hands after the household. So th- there are some folks who will try to do what's called a 60-day rollover where you can try to put some of the money back within 60 days of receiving it. And if you do, in that case, you not only avoid the 10% penalty, but you actually are neutralizing the tax as well. The but problem is you only get to do it one time in a 12-month period. So that's right. That's you're, right. you're limited there. The other thing I just quickly mentioned here is if you had a Roth IRA, Larita, you could have withdrawn some of those dollars without paying any tax at all, even a penalty. And so I'm not sure your entire situation, but uh, that's something else to consider. We've got a question coming up here from Dale about whether you can deduct allowing a charity to use some of your property. Very, very interesting question. That and more coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group.
This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran & Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Good morning, folks. Thanks for joining us today for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard, alongside Josh Gregory, alongside Kevin Corhorn. If you've missed anything, I'm sorry. We've been talking about taxes. It's been a boatload of fun. But go to wisemoneyradio.com. You can listen to... What, is that not... It's, it's scary that you're not being sarcastic right I there. love taxes and I love tax planning. Yes, one of the two certainties in life. <laughs> Death planning and tax planning. Oh, there you go. Okay. If you missed anything, check out the podcast on iTunes or Google Play, as well as the previous 10 episodes right there at wisemoneyradio.com. All right. We had a question from Larita. I thought we were done uh, answering, but on on uh, just a moment ago, Kevin said, hey, I got a couple more pieces of advice to share. So here's Larita's question. Let me just share it again. She took a distribution from her traditional IRA uh, from being laid off in December of 2015. And she took several distributions in 2016 for rent, bills, insurance. Was there a smarter way to withdraw that money to avoid a penalty? Yeah, and I think, Lorita, a lot of times when people are dealing with their finances, they feel somewhat inadequate or um, they, they just don't have the confidence that they'd want to have. And so it causes them to either not ask the questions or not um, dig deeper or pursue because they're already uh, a good an- pursue a good answer because they're already feeling bad about what's happened, whether you're feeling bad about losing your job or it feels like a defeat because you've got to take some money that you've had in savings and you wanted to leave it in savings. But I would encourage you to take that energy and put it towards improving your situation. So whatever that is you need to do, um, I would encourage you to, to not beat yourself up about what, what's happened financially really take that energy and, and put it into improving your situation. So here's, but you asked the question, was there a smarter way for me to avoid the penalty? And this was mentioned, but I want to, I want to say it again. There is a way to avoid uh, the penalty. And, and again, as we mentioned, you will pay the taxes, but there's a 10% penalty if you take IRA money out before 59 and a half. So we said, 72T or substantially equal periodic payments. And the way that that works, that's that's five years. You're taking, you have to take an equal amount out over five years or until 59 and a half, whichever is longer. Yep. So if you start taking that money out at 57, you've got to take that same amount out over the next five years. So you'll be taking that amount out until you're 62. If you start taking that out, at 54, you'll be done at 59 and a half. So that's one of the ways to do it. But the other thing that you may or may not know, if you had a 401k at your previous employer and you were 59, I'm sorry, you're 55 or older, it's quite likely that that 401k has a provision that allows you to take money out of the 401k and avoid the 10% uh, penalty. Yeah, it basically has a younger age that they're counting you as fully retired. A lot of right? them do. I'm, I'm glad you're talking about this. As I saw her question, Kevin, I thought, well, we're not going to get that gritty. On, we're on the radio. It's difficult to hit these details. That's good. 
this is good stuff for people to know it's out there. Those are is risky stuff because those dollars then are not growing for your retirement. But in Lorita's situation, hey, I've hit a stone wall here. I I I need I need money to put food on the table. And so there are some options. Yeah. Yeah, well, I would also, you know, to, to take this out of the tax realm and into just kind of life planning, financial planning, I would kind of piggyback on what Kevin uh, w- was uh, alluding to, giving the energy towards the things that are going to improve your financial life. And that might mean for you uh, changing the industry that you're working in. Because, you know, right now the reality is the unemployment rate is pretty low, especially in our neck of the woods here. Certain industries are desperate for people. It might not be the industry that you feel well trained for, prepared for. It might not be the one that's familiar to you. But if you can spend some time giving thought to what are the transferable skills that you've built up during your working career that could get a new application, maybe breathe some new life into your working uh, opportunities that way. It may even need uh, an investment of sorts into retraining yourself as well. I wondered if you're going to go there. Kevin's been reading this book and actually got on a kick and we've all been reading it about how the future may bring a more dynamic industry such that you're going to need to have versatile skills where you may work in one skill set and in one industry for a few years and then need to take time off to get retrained because that industry no longer is, exists or has changed dramatically. So you've got to retool, retrain, and then go into a different industry. That may be coming with how quickly the economy is advancing due to technology. Yeah, and I think we'll be talking more about this book. It's been written by uh, a guy, Rick Edelman, who's a financial advisor, and he's a guy that I... Is he I, a wide receiver for the Patriots? He is... Uh, oh, that's Julian Edelman. Sorry. So, uh, <laughs> my bad. Yeah, that's uh, Rick's brother. So, um, but really, w- one of the things that Rick says is look, we're, everyone is going to work until they're at least 85 because of the advancements in medical care. And you're going to work until you're 85 because you're going to live until you're 120. So, there's all kinds of things. And, and his point was if we're talking about the future and it's believable, it's probably not going to happen in the future. So, I'm, I'm picturing you at 120 right now. He's going to be wearing four, kind of, four, <laughs> four, four <laughs> readers, one, on, one uh, in front you of can, the other. Yeah, you can stack those those things up, and it'll uh, magnify. Here's the thing, though, folks, and I think I think we are going to have a show on this book or a couple. Yes, because it's it's that it, it challenges your thinking. However, here's my resolve: financial planning isn't about trying to predict what's going to happen in the future. It's trying to get you ready for whatever comes next yep. for you. That's what financial planning is. And last week we talked about Dale's question, should I get out of the stock market, something like that. Financial planning isn't, uh, isn't worried about those short-term things. It's about how can you be prepared for the long term. And so anyway, that won't be the last time you hear about that. Thanks for the question, Loretta. I hope you're back on track. I hope that helped anyone else in a similar situation. Okay, next question is from Dale from St. Louis. That's that's great. Listening to either online or to the uh, to the podcast. That's great. Here's Dale's question. Can I let a charity use my property for a community garden and receive a tax deduction? Very interesting. And some of this, so I guys, we all volunteer for churches and and whatnot and I volunteer for an organization called Young Life. It's a youth organization 
for high schools and middle schools and even even college. And one of the tricky things we've been trying to figure out this year is we have to commute. The volunteers need to commute all over the place. I don't as much in what I do for the organization, but sometimes I've had to put considerable miles on my vehicle. Yeah, you get to deduct those volunteer miles driven because you're really giving up some of the shelf life, some of the use of your car. You're giving up gas. You're giving up some of the value because you're using your vehicle. The government lets you write that off. In this case, though, you're not out anything. And, and if I can just read some of the verbiage that I found here and received from one of our CPAs, generally, unless you give an undivided interest in something to a charity, you're not entitled to a deduction. So yeah, you, you don't get to use your property maybe while the charity's there um, hanging out in the garden. However, you're not giving up anything. There's nothing that you lost. There's nothing tangible financial that you gave. Like it's and, not being depleted, in other words, like your vehicle. Exactly. Example. So generally, the government doesn't allow you to make to, to deduct that. Yeah, I'm not surprised uh, we got this question. Um, these these uh, community gardens are just, they're really growing. Um, what I have found is that a lot of times when people are asking about deduction and can I deduct something, what you want to think is there's a difference between your itemized deductions and your standard deduction. So if you use the standard deduction, what a lot of people a lot of times will refer to the itemized deductions as the long form. Do I go long form? Uh, it's kind of an old school term. But if you itemize, that's when you can deduct your mileage and uh, what you give to charity and these other things. But you want to be pay careful attention to those things because if you can itemize and it helps, then you can get more deduction. I think that's one area where a lot of people are paying more tax than they should because they just don't take the time to itemize or don't know what to itemize. So great question, Dale. Thanks for listening. I don't think it's going to help you on your taxes at this time. All right, folks. Thank you so much, so much for joining us today. Next week, we've got... Elder Law Attorney Michael Murphy on the show answering all your questions about Medicaid planning. You're not going to want to miss it. On behalf of Josh Gregory, Kevin Corhorn, and myself, and all of us at Corhorn Financial Group, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.